Clifton Manning. Do you prefer Cliff or Clifton? Cliff is fine. All right. Well, the official name is Clifton Manning, but the man himself right there, Cliff Manning, is with me tonight. And we're going to be talking about what else? The basic tenets of nonfiction branding and especially how it applies to not only building a personal brand, but achieving your dreams. Because, Cliff, I'm all about, obviously, nonfiction brand as my kind of tentpole idea around which I dance every day. Because it's it's the centering thing in, in everything I do. You've got the same type of thing going on with your dream octane idea. But before we start talking about dream octane, why don't you give us about 30 seconds on who you are, what you do, and how you do it. Well, first, DP, I definitely want to thank you for having me on the show. This is an honor for me. You were a guest on, on my show, the Niche Finder podcast, and you were, you were phenomenal. And that podcast will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. To answer your question, though, my name is Clifton C. Manning. I am the author of Dream Octane, The Seven Steps to Discover, Develop, and Deliver Your Niche. That's what I do by night. You know, I, I like to write. That's my thing. But by day, I, I work as an administrator. I, I've been working in the last 20 years, working in healthcare, working in urban hospital, right in the center of North New Jersey. And it is really a privilege to be able to serve patients that way. I work in the imaging department in administration and the leadership of that, managing multiple different parts of imaging. So we become like the eyes of physicians. So that's what I do by day and by, by night. Let's go back to the book that I was just sharing with you. It's Dream Octane. As I said, the seven steps to discover, develop, and deliver your niche. This is a book, as we I would imagine, get into a little bit more, that really is all about how to not only to discover what you have in abundance in you, but also develop it. And when you develop it, you can't just stop there, but now you got to figure out a way on how to deliver it. Instead of trying to figure it out all on your own, I, I wrote a book about it. It took me a couple years to do it, but I think that it's something that could add value to you and actually save you time on your journey towards success. You're like a whole lot of people who listen to this podcast, people who have got <laughs> a, a day job, but a night joy. I like to describe it that way. It's like uh, my okay. day job is what feeds my kids, but my night joy is what feeds my soul so that I can feed my, uh, love my kids with that, that kind of soulfulness, that joyfulness. And yeah. the cool thing is you've decided to take your own idea and niche yourself down to a very specific thing, which is kind of this system process to help other people achieve their dreams through actionable stuff. It's not just theoretical, right? There's a lot of actionable ideas, tips, techniques, tricks, and stuff like that. You talk about them in your podcast, which we should probably talk about right off the bat, which is the Niche Finder podcast. And that's yes, that, yes. How, how often does that come up? So it comes out weekly, pretty much every Friday it comes out. It's on all the major podcast platforms. Our main hosting platform is Podbean.com. That's where we started, but we now stream on Apple, stream on Spotify, Google, and, and any major podcast listening platform that you that you listen to. And so the I guess the elevator pitch for the Niche Finder podcast is where Dream Octane focuses, the book focuses on an individual who feel like they have something of value, but they don't exactly know how to pull that thing out. So they start from the discovery of what they have in abundance or their gift or niche whatever term you want to use, and bringing that through development into expertise. 
The Niche Finder podcast is the same process, but it's done in reverse. So the Niche Finder podcast starts with experts to describe what their beginning was. And in that process of taking you through their beginning, the goal is really for the listening audience to be able to, sh- to give them tips, tricks, and just helpful secrets that can help accelerate their journey on their way to their success. So that in a nutshell is what the, the Dream Octane, the book, as well as the Niche Finder podcast is all about. I'm going to guess. I'm gonna, I, I like to do this. I like to take a stab at stuff and see or throw spaghetti at the wall, if you will, and see if it sticks. And one of those things is that you talked about you start with experts and kind of deconstruct on how they became experts and known and things like that. How many of them started out knowing exactly what their niche was versus how many kind of discovered their way toward their niche as opposed to knowing it from the get? You know, it's it's such a great question. You know, one thing that I find and to answer your question It varies from person to person. But I do believe that most people have a glimpse of what their niche could be. It's not so much what I found in interviewing. So we've done, we're on episode like 55 and 80% of that, the Niche Finder podcast is all about interviewing guests. The one common denominator that I find among highly successful people is not that they haven't, they didn't, they don't know what their niche was or know what their gift was or they happen to stumble upon it, is that they felt unqualified. They felt like they, they, didn't, they didn't have what it, what it took to make it to the next level. Or this thing that they had that came easy to them probably wasn't, you know, they, didn't, they took it lightly. But that's the real value. It, you know, many of them even articulated that they struggled with imposter syndrome. I, I knew I could relate to them because I myself, in my journey, and I talk about this in the book, I know what it feels like to sit in, a, in the hospital and sit in inside around a table surrounded by doctors and other administrators when I first got into leadership, because all I had was my associate's degree in applied science. So I'm around with all these other highly skilled, highly qualified people, but yet I got to perform at the, the level that they're performing on as a leader or above. And so what I had to do is read every leadership book that I could find, go to every seminar that I could possibly get into within reason, and try to apply real time what I find myself going through. But at the table, I felt unqualified. And I find that that's a common denominator among other experts when they look back and talk about their journey. Yeah. Call it imposter syndrome. Call it, I'm no better than anybody else. Call it, am I really an expert? Even though I've, you know, can I call, is it, am I bragging to call myself an expert in anything? That's a big hurdle for a lot of people to get over, especially when they're creating what I like to call their nonfiction personal brands and what you're calling the basis of the dream octane process so that you can achieve that dream. And a lot of it comes from, frankly, being a decent human being, which is I recognize that I'm not perfect or I'm not omniscient. There are things I can learn every step of the way. What makes me think that I could be possibly considered an expert or even a teacher? To that, I kindly say, well, guess what? You're a teacher to anyone who doesn't have the experience you have or the years Mm. in the saddle that you have. And again, you may only be five feet ahead of them in their career, but you've got something to share with them, which they don't have. And that is your specific experience, your specific background, your voice, your ideas, 
and all those things that you can share. Because again, you've written a book, I've written a book, we've done it completely different ways. Why? Because you wrote yours and I wrote mine. I'm sure I could learn a ton from you just having a conversation about what it took for you to do that over a couple of years. I'm sure I could probably share some stuff to you that could be valuable to you. Because while we did the same thing, we did it entirely different ways. And by the way, because I've done it, I'm an expert in the way that I did it. And that's what I can share. That's what I can legitimately say I'm an expert in. And same with you, Cliff. You're an expert in what you did and the, the route you took to get that done. The one thing I want to kind of drill in on a little bit with you is you said you had an associate's degree. And I guarantee you, you're at a table with people who had advanced degrees, whether it's a, an MD or a PhD or a MBA or whatever. Did that initially cause a lot of that kind of imposter syndrome that, uh, you know, is, is that where it started? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question. And to answer it, yeah, it, it did. I, I think just thinking that the environment that I was in had more to offer than what I had to offer to I think caused me to start to second guess some things. Now, and I, I have to say, I'm pretty confident or for the most part, not, not cocky, but I am pretty confident, confident that if there is a problem and I have, hey, maybe a tool that I've used in times past to fix that problem, or I feel like I have a resource that can help come in and help to solve that problem, or it's just a vision, like, you know what, I think we can do it. I'm pretty confident when I have that level of detail up against this problem that I find myself up against, that it can be solved. What I've learned over time is that in many of these situations, the answer to the problem or the solution to the problem is often nestled inside of it. But again, to your point, when I was inside of that, before I became or got to that level of understanding, there was still some struggle that I found myself up against. I had internal struggles. I had external struggles. I had roadblocks that I had to overcome. And so the journey became just that for me. You know, it's, it's interesting, as you were talking, I was thinking about Theodore Roosevelt, and he was talking, he, he shared in, in one of his speeches, a great quote that I love to share with your audience. He said, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. He said, the credit belongs to the man who actually is in the arena, who knows at best the end of trying of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring great." So that his place can never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. It's in these moments when we find ourselves up against the challenge, up against that hurdle, up against that roadblock that we can push through by faith or by focus or whatever our motivation is. But we have just got to keep going because it's in those moments. It could be in those moments that's helping us to be, as I put it in, in, the, in Dream Octane's book, it could be a, a refinery for us. And making us actually better. I, I love that. You know, that quote, that Teddy Roosevelt quote is cited by everybody, not only from you, but also people like Brene Brown. Her book, Daring Greatly, is based on that quote because it, mm. it resonates so strongly with so many people, especially those people who are bound and determined to be in the arena, not on the outside looking in. And, you know, I know a lot of the listeners of your podcast, a lot of listeners of my podcast, they are dying to be in the arena. 
and they know they want to be in the arena, they almost need to be in there because of the nature of who they are, what they do and how they do it. But they're, they're always perhaps a little bit intimidated as, as you were by people who obviously are more expert than you could possibly be at any given thing. And bear with me a second as I kind of dive in through the, the name of your podcast, Niche Finder. It occurred to me, and I'm sure you probably are well aware of this, that by defining your niche very finely, you can say legitimately, I am an expert in this sliver of human endeavor. Yes. And that frees you from having to be an expert in everything else. It's yes. almost like, well, for example, I have to put it in my experience terms because that's the way I look at the world through my personal experience. I came up as a advertising copywriter in creative departments in agencies big and small throughout the United States. And I always worked with art directors because copywriters are typically paired with an art director. And mm. that doesn't mean I don't have visual ideas and stuff like that. But when it came to things like typography, color, mm. the use of shape and texture and stuff like that, they were far better than me. And when I was young and stupid, I thought I was good as them at those things. And I rapidly found out by actually working with people who were very, very good at what they do that, oh, they are so much better at what they do than I am. I need to defer to them on those things. And we, that doesn't mean I just say, yes, ma'am, and bow down in front of their ideas. But it meant that, you know what? Your taste is a little bit better than me. I was kind of seeing it this way, but I really love how you plussed what I thought was possible. You took the five that I gave you and added another five, and now our idea is a 10. That's because you're an expert in what you do. I'm an expert in what I do. And five plus five equals 10. And ideally, the two sets of five actually equals 20 because they're even stronger. But that idea that by niching down into what you are truly an expert at, that should actually free you of a whole lot of weight because you can say, you know what? I'm not an expert in that. I am an expert right. in this. Is that part of your thinking, especially when it comes to the dream octane process? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I tell you a quick story and tell the audience a quick story. The, the inception of dream octane really started for me when I was in my last semester of business school at Rutgers executive MBA program in Newark, New Jersey. I, I, I was seated in class, maybe third row back from where my professor Farouk Landana was teaching. And he was a, he's a Jedi master when it comes down to teaching. He, he uses the force of macroeconomics to help us to bring clarity to these incredibly complex principles and make it simple. So he makes it relatable. But as we're in class, he begins to share with us how a country, all of its, its complexities back in the 1800s, would find what they had in abundance and use that to begin trading with another country. He called it the six steps to improve a country uses to improve its overall well-being. And he began to go through it. And it starts with step one is find what you have in abundance. Step two is where is that abundant factor used intensely? Step three is What's your comparative advantage? Now, he says comparative, not competitive advantage. And, and then go on to the next step of eliminating trade barriers and, and so on and so forth. So it went through six steps. And it was several economists that came together that, that he, he put together these six steps. Now, this is back in the 1800s. And this is emerging economies now with all of their complexities, being able to, to find what they have, 
and then find who could use what they have and then trade with them. So they would take what they had in abundance in that other nation or other country. And they said, well, I'm scarce in my country with what you have in abundance. Why don't you give me what you have and I'll give you what I have in abundance and it can help to fortify what you have in scarcity. And I'm like, wow, while I'm in class in Epiphany, a light bulb goes off in my head and I say, wait, if, if a country could do that, why can't we? And so that's how the six steps that a country uses back in the 1800s was applied and overlaid onto the seven steps that one can do to find their niche. And ultimately, just real quick, to bow tie all of this, the goal is really to find your one thing in the discovery aspect of it, because there's three different segments of the book. There's a discovery portion of it, which is you finding what you do well or have done well. The second part of it is developing what you have done well and focusing on that one thing, rinse and repeat. And then the last segment, the delivery portion of it is all about how you can now deliver that one thing. And one thing that Robert Kiyosaki said, and I mentioned this in a book, he says, if you want to have focus, and, what, what, and how does he just describe focus? He's, he uses it as, an, as an, uh, an acrostic that says, focus is follow one course until successful. And so that's what it's all about. Find your one thing, refine your one thing, and then deliver your one thing. And you're just going to rinse and repeat that process. Oh my gosh. I love looking at different ways to frame similar ideas. So the economic example you gave, all of a sudden I'm going, oh, that makes such sense because like <laughs> Saudi Arabia, tons of oil, but they don't yes. have wood products or, yeah. you know, all these other things and they never will. And perhaps we always think that every country has all the same stuff. No, they don't. They are literally, right. they have an abundance of X, but they don't have Y, A, B, C, or D. And yeah. that's the same as you're saying with a human. I may have a pretty good visual taste and maybe a, a fair eye when it comes to color, but I'm not as good as an art director who has trained and just t more talented in those areas than I am. The same way that while they may have verbal ideas that they can articulate in work, almost 100% of the time I can take what they've written and make it sharper and more memorable. Why? Because that's where my skill set, my talent pool lies, you know? And so if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying take a deep look at what your talents are. Not only what your interests are, but what your talents are and align whatever you're doing and find the niche that those talents, that the desire is suited for. Am I making sense? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're right on the money. You know, one one analogy that we use throughout the book is it's it really is just the theme of the book. So Dream Octane, it was actually inspired. It was refined within that classroom setting, but it was inspired by when I came across a story by a man named Patilla Higgins. Now, Patilla Higgins is back in, you know, the 1900s. And so like 1901, around that time, he's living in Spindletop, Texas, and he was a salt miner. And the thing about salt mining is that what I, and during the research, I found out that salt miners sometimes stumbled upon oil reserves in the ground because it is the salt, it is the salt deposits that causes the, you know, over time, it causes that the fossil fuel actually to be formed within these salt pockets, right? And so he, here it is, a salt miner. He's in Spindletop, Texas. He's, he begins to see signs of what he believes to be an area where a reservoir could be. Brought experts in, they're like, you're crazy. Brought somebody else in, they're like, you're sick. What are you saying? 
this this place is barren. It's been barren for years. Eventually, they began drilling there after years. And in January, I believe it was 1901, they actually hit oil. But not only did they hit oil, not only did they strike oil, but it became the highest producing oil reserve of its time. Now, Attila Hagen started with a barren area where people said that he was crazy when they said he, it was something of value there. But then eventually it, it was a geyser there. And quite often that happens to us as individuals. Like we may have this gift, this niche I mean, for you with copywriting. It's like you have this gift with words. And that's something that most people overlook. It's dormant, right? It's just like barren land. But every once in a while, you may find somebody who can, a coach, for example, who can go in and they can ignite that niche, that gift, that calling that you have inside of you. They can help you to refine it and help you to discover it. But then when you discover it, just like finding oil in the ground, you have got to get it. You can't just take the oil out of the ground as crude oil and put it into your your engine. It's going to destroy your engine. You have got to refine it. The same thing with your gift. You have raw talents. You have raw, raw abilities. But you got to go through the refinery process. You've got to start serving that gift. And as you serve, in step four of my book, it is giving, it is finding what you have that's unique about you, but it's helpful to others. And as you begin to give it to others, you now start to make that one thing a lot better and a lot better until eventually you can get to a step six where you can now give it to a wider audience. Yeah. I love that metaphor, man. I, I tell you, the, it, the funny thing is, that when I go through my process with other people and developing their nonfiction brand, whether it's a small business or an individual, I'll often refer to it in mining terms. Literally, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a, an area. We're going to mine that and we're going to look for grains of gold, little grains of gold. Mm-hmm. And we're going to aggregate those grains of gold into this lovely nugget. And then we're going to refine that nugget into a piece of presentation jewelry that you will wear every single day with the certain knowledge that it is 100% aligned with who you actually are, what you do, and how you do it, and your true value. We're obviously on the same page, but the big thing (laughs) that that both of our metaphors are doing are you got to do some mining. You got to start digging, and sometimes you got to dig a little bit deeper. And one of the things I really liked what you just said, sometimes you need someone else to come along with you. To be able to say, you know what, in my case, DP, I see on your walls, you got guitars, you must be a musician. And the answer is, no, I love music, but I know where my talents lay in. I have a certain music aptitude, but I'm not good enough to be a professional musician. In fact, the reason Mm -hmm. I have all these guitars actually goes back to the fact that I'm a writer who would write poetry in the form of music, you know, songs, and I learned to play guitar so that I could take my words and turn them into songs. So again, on the surface, you might say, look at all the guitars, you must be a guitar player. And it's like, I'm an okay guitar player, but mostly I'm a guitar buyer, (laughs) to be honest, but I'm no hardcore guitar player. However, the guitars are a tool that allow me to actually do the thing that I'm most suited for, which is using the written word to take ideas, turn them into musical thoughts or, or poetic thoughts, etc. For me, it's like, oh, it all goes back to the word. But then I would say, yeah, but it's not about the words either. The words are the medium for what you really are, which is a storyteller. And if you really dig down deep, even further, I'm a performer. 
I'm a mm. performer who tells stories via the written word. Do you see? Yeah. That's literally going past the salt, going past the, the crude oil. <laughs> it's it's going even deeper to the very first concept, which is, oh, yeah, you're a storyteller. Yeah, but yeah. you're a performer first, because would you tell stories without being able to perform it? Or what's most important to you? Why do I do a podcast when I'm a writer? Shouldn't I be doing a blog? For some reason, mm. and I've told this story before on this podcast, I've tried to start a blog 50 different times and never gotten past week 20. Mm. Meanwhile, this podcast, by the time it airs, it's going to be episode 200 and something. Wow. You know, four plus years of doing this podcast every week because why? Say it with me. I'm a performer. I'm performing mm. via the live stream. I'm performing via the audio. I love being in front of a mic and in front of a camera. I love sharing ideas. I love getting people excited. Oh, I'm a performer. Hmm. Mm. And that only happens when you have someone along with you to say, you know what? I know you say you like this and it's absolutely an application of what you do, but what you really do is something completely different or not different, but complementary to what you actually produce. Yes. And am I making sense to you? Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. I think you're making a world of sense. And, and, and even going back to what you were saying, you know, it, it reminds me of a segment that I, I mentioned in, in, in my book in chapter six. It leads out with a story from Dr. Well, the late Dr. Miles Monroe it says the richest. He talks about the richest place on Earth. And he says the richest and wealthiest place on Earth, he says, surprisingly, is not the oil fields of Iraq or Saudi Arabia. He says, nor is it the the diamond enriched or gold mines that's in South Africa, nor is it the uranium filled soil of the Soviet Union. He said the wealthiest place in the world is a place that all of us, each one of us may drive by on our way to work and we may ride by it on our way back. He says the wealthiest place in the world is the graveyard. He says, because there you will find books that were never written songs that were never sung, and there's billion-dollar businesses that were never started. Why? Because people took that gift, what you call your the goal or that nugget, and they took it to the grave. And that's where we just want to ignite people to let them know, and, and, and using Dream Octane terms, that you have a reservoir of crude resources buried inside of you. At times, it may percolate to the surface. You may have some people who it's obvious that anybody can walk by. You don't have to be an expert to see that somebody like LeBron James is for sports. Or you don't have to be an expert to hear Celine Dion humming a song to know that she has a gift for singing, right? Like, so for some of us, that stuff is all, is, is percolating and it's all, it, they don't need much effort to drill. It's right there on the surface. For some of us, like Patilla Higgins' case, you got to drill. You have to believe, even when naysayers are saying, you know what? Where you've gotten to in life, you know, you're not you're not going you're not going to amount up to anything or your daddy wasn't anything. You won't be anything. That's what other people are saying. But you have a God giving niche, a God giving gift inside of you. And that's something that could be refined. That's something to develop. Don't take it to the grave. With you. If once you understand what your abundant factor is, it then gives us a responsibility to not only discover it, but develop it and deliver. Oh, man, yeah. I love that. I, I and that graveyard analogy is so rich and it's so yeah. true 
because uh, oftentimes when people try to compare themselves to the success of others, I'll, I'll just point out to them and say, you think that person's good? Well, there's someone even better than them in some small village in China that will never be heard from by anybody. Mm -hmm. The best musician in the world, and this is me being slightly hyperbolic, but the best musician in the world is a six-year-old boy or a six-year-old girl in some small village in China, and we'll never hear mm. them. But mm. we do hear the musicians who get out there and perform and share their their style, their vibe, their their spirit, their imagery, their voice, and all that stuff. We're on the same page when it comes to that, man. Because yes. for years, I've said this on the podcast many times, I'm from the Midwest where people are very feet on the ground, you know, if anything, touting your success is considered a little bit in bad taste or mm -hmm. maybe a little braggy. Other parts of the country have no problem with bragging. I'm thinking of the state mm -hmm. of Texas when I say that. But, but here in the Midwest, <laughs> you don't tout your success, to which I say, you don't have to tout your success. You have to share your knowledge. You have to share your voice, your story, your experience. That's not you bragging. It's you sharing. And when you flip that switch from I'm bragging about myself to no, I'm sharing that which I have worked so hard to know, all of a sudden, oh, it's not about me. It's about what I can give you. And that, I think, is a great way for people who are, are trying to get over the, not the imposter syndrome, but the braggart fear mm. or a fear of a braggart syndrome. There's got to be a better phrase for that. I'll think of it <laughs> and write a book about it. But, it, but it's that it's, idea. I don't want to be yeah. a braggart. Well, I don't yeah. have to brag if I'm sharing. Mm. What am I sharing? My hard-earned expertise, the things I know, the things I love, the things I've learned. And that's, that's what you're talking about too with finding your niche. Because again, we're talking about that thing in which you are an expert because you are truly an expert. Can you give me an example of someone, maybe it's someone you've worked with or someone you know that has actually gone through your system, especially the part where they discover what their niche is? Oh, yes. So, you know, it started out and I talk, I talk about this in the book. We, I, I call her by alias Miss Charlie in the book. And part of why I love sharing about Miss Charlie is because Miss Charlie was the person who felt unqualified, but she was very qualified. She had her master's degree. She was teaching. She also worked as a navigator. She had more than one occupation. She also worked as, as a navigator in a hospital to help patients get proactive care and to prevent you know, certain diseases that they could run up against. So she, she was an expert in both fields, but yet at times she felt she didn't know exactly which direction to go. You know, one thing my dad used to say, commercial break on this point, he used to always say to me growing up and get my dad and mom from, from Jamaica, West Indian heritage. My dad would often share these parables and he would say, you know, Cliff. And we're like, yes, dad. He says, knowledge is the key. And I was like, all right, what does that mean? Knowledge is the key. Right? And so what he, what he was saying is that knowledge is a key that opens many doors, which is great. But as a 15 year old carrying that advice, it was good advice, but it was confusing advice because I'm like, you have these keys and then you have these many doors. How do you know which key goes to what door? And even when you open the door, how do you know that's meant for you to walk through? And so Miss Charlie was in that kind of dilemma. And so what we did is we worked together and I began to share with her, OK, don't think about 
all these infomercials that you see when you go onto YouTube of, you can do this, you can do that. That's all fine and good. But, but for, for you, let's start with what you've already done well. And we went through this with, 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 with the podcast, and it's the five questions that we ask. I call it the 5P framework. That's where you begin on the discovery portion. Okay, what do you do that you're passionate about? What do you do that when you do it, you feel like I'm ignited? The second question is, what do you do that feels purposeful? What do you do that when you do it, you say, man, I feel like I was made for this moment? The third one is patterns. What do you do naturally well? The fourth one is this coin, opposite side of the same coin is your proficiency. And that's not what you naturally do well, but that's what you learn to do well over time. And then the last one is, what problems do you solve? Now, taking her through the process was a lot more detailed than just having a conversation because I have a, a whole grid that goes along with it. And for every response that you give, you will also give a score as the individual filling it out, with one being the least, five being the highest quality. And then you then you have a, a family, a close family friend or a close family member, a beloved family member. <laughs> Get somebody that actually likes you and you like them and your family. And let them score you. Again, one being the least, five being the the greatest. And then the last portion of that is you're going to ask a trusted friend or a mentor. When you go through that grid, now you start to see like all of these gifts that you have, all of this creativity that you have that's confusing. You got the keys on the list, but now you're going to find a door. How do you find a door? Well, you just add up the scores. When you add up the scores, anything that's 15, you know that that's a strong quality because not only did you discover it, but you brought it up to a family friend and he just like, yes, you know what, Celine, you can definitely sing. You go to a mentor or whomever it is. And he's like, yes, you need to be on stage. And you want to pursue that. Totally different than having an interest, and I'm making this up, of real estate, for example, when you have a natural ability, a built-in inherent ability to be on stage. Right. And so as we begin to work through that, what I found fascinating is that she actually discovered the niche within the niche that she already was in. So instead of looking for something outside, she like, wow, you know what? I've been, I've been trained. I've been teaching about public, you know, health and, and public health and so on. She's an expert in that. She's been teaching students year after year. She now began to look for the niche within that niche. And so she's iterating herself through the process of that one thing. And for her, that's what success looks like. And that's just how deeply you need to niche yourself, the niche within the niche. I love that idea because if you think, oh, my niche is music, that's not niche enough. You got to keep on going, get get even more tightly defined than that. And once you do, it's amazing what can happen for you. I mean, all you have to do is go on TikTok and watch people doing the, with the strangest niches you've ever seen, like there's a woman who does nothing but she has this like slow moving lathe and she makes acrylic cups for people with different colors. And she's got people watching her make these acrylic cups on TikTok, and she sells them. And the person's telling what color you to use next and all that stuff. And it's like, are you kidding me? And the answer (laughs) is yes. She found out what she's enthusiastic about, what she loves to do. She's a very personable person who's not ready for TV, but she's perfect for TikTok. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that if is. you think your niche is too narrow, you're wrong. It's probably yeah. too wide. You know, what's funny. It's interesting you bring that up because the step one of what I call the life cycle of excavation in the book, Dream Octane, that's where we talk about the 5P framework. But you don't just stop there. Now you want to find, just like what you're saying, this, this, this young lady found on TikTok. 
okay, where is this thing that I have done well? Where is it used intensely? Or where has it been, you know, highly recognized or appreciated? Where has it been most helpful? The good example of this is Steve Harvey. When Steve Harvey was 25 years old, his friend Gladys took him to a comedy show. She says, Steve, you're the funniest guy I know. Come to this comedy event with me. And he didn't even know what a comedy club was. Again, he's, you know, from, you know, kind of like a country upbringing. So he wasn't exposed to a lot of stuff. But he, as soon as he got there, he realized that there was a sign-up list. Now he, you know, on a, you know, was, was writing different jokes and he was giving them away to a friend of his who, who would go to, I guess, these clubs and perform. But he never went and he never performed. He signed his name onto the list that, that evening. And he was number 10. And as he sat there in the audience, realizing that it was a competition and every comedian that went up, as he's sitting in the audience for the first time in this environment, he now begins to almost scrutinize, not in a bashing way, but just because his niche, he saw it on display and he's like, wow, you know, if this person would have tweaked that ending, the punchline would have been much funnier or if the delivery could have been this. So he was critiquing each one, wishing that he was on a stage. So all 10 People went through. Actually, ten. I, I, one correction on the story: there were there was a list of ten people already on the sheet, and he had to sign up for next week. That's what it was. And so when he listened to all nine people, they went to call the tenth person, and when they called for the tenth person, nobody answered. And so they they called again, and nobody answered. And he says, "Well, I guess this person checking out. Let's go to next week's list." And they called Steve Harvey to the stage, and as soon as they did, it was like instantly, boom. It was like, here you are, his niche met his moment. He's now delivering his comedy. People are laughing and he won. He won the $50 and the very next day, maybe this probably wasn't the best idea. He regretted it as he, as he was homeless for three years after that. But he just, he walked away from his job. He says, look, this, he said, I was born tonight. That's what he told his friend Gladys. And yeah. many times when I meet that moment, that's exactly how we feel. Steve Harvey is such a great example of someone who found his niche I'm a big fan of his and I've seen him. He had a, a talk show on broadcast TV that got canceled, but he always did an after or between breaks or whatever with the yes. audience and he would talk about it. And I remember him telling the story about the first time he went to the Apollo Theater in Harlem. Mm. And he and I think maybe I'm going to get some of the names wrong, but Jamie Foxx was there. Chris yes. Rock was there or people of that caliber. And yes. Sinbad was the host of it, I think, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the great comedian. Linda Rock Johnson was there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> huge. And he said everybody was bombing because the Apollo audience is the world's toughest audience. But he had, you know, he had lived in his car and he had dedicated his life to this. And he said, well, I'm going to do it. He got up there and he did his stuff and he just killed the audience. Because yes. he knew his stuff, he knew himself, he knew the truth of who he was, who he is as a human being, and his story, and he told, you know, his comedy comes from him. It's yes. his comedy. is He talks about his family and his son and his wife and all that stuff. He doesn't talk about stuff he's not expert in. He talks about the stuff that he's totally expert in because he's experienced it, and I think Steve Harvey's an excellent example for anybody who wants to know how to be truly authentic, authentically you, and perform at the very highest level. I mean, the guy's very, very impressive. I got to tell you, Cliff, I really love talking with you because obviously we share 
a lot of the same points of view when it comes to the importance yeah. of identifying what I like to call the completely true, completely you personal brand you already are. Because that's the thing. I'm not talking about making something fictitious. I'm talking about packaging what you truly are in a way that people can understand it, can recognize it, prefer it, engage it with it, and ideally buy it. So yes. yeah, is it a bit like a packaging yourself like a packaged good, like cereal? Yeah, it is. Because <laughs> let me tell you, I don't look for the words Captain Crunch if I want to go get Captain Crunch in the store. I look for that, yeah. that blue hatted ship captain, <laughs> grab the package and go. Because <laughs> I know what the brand represents. And let me tell you, yeah. obviously, Clifton Manning, you got a lot to share. And one of the things I want to point out is that you do have a podcast of your own. And if you want to learn more about that, all you've got to do is head on over to wherever you get your fine podcasts for free and look up the niche or niche finder podcast. This is me preferring niche. I don't know why that is. Oh, oh yeah, I do remember. I'm a word guy. That's why. But anyway, get the Niche Finder podcast wherever you get fine podcasts for free. And evidently, it comes out every Monday. Every Friday. Every, every Friday. Friday. All right. So yes. a new episode. We're recording this on a Thursday. So I'm going to listen for a new episode tomorrow. And I hope you yes. will, too. If people wanted to contact you or engage with you on social media, how can they do that? Is there someplace they can go to learn more about you or maybe get a taste of what Dream Octane is all about? Yeah, absolutely. They can go on to dreamoctane.org. That's dreamoctane.org. I have a sample of, of the book there. And it's something that the beginning stages of helping people to discover, develop, and deliver their niche. You can also follow me. And again, this is this is brand new. I'm just new to this space. So still under construction, but you can definitely tag me on Facebook and Instagram. If you look up Clifton C. Manning, that's Clifton C. Manning. And again, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, and we're building out the YouTube channel right now. It's all in its infancy, but we're still feeding the baby. So we're watching them grow. <laughs> well, and that's that's the whole thing. I mean, again, I'm going to underline a couple things. The Teddy Roosevelt quote, get in the arena. You know you want to be in the arena if you're listening to this podcast. Get in the arena. Yeah, you might have to uh, suffer some slings and arrows of outrageous fortune to quote a different bard. But that's mm -hmm. what you have to do. The beauty of it is if you use the system that Cliff is talking about, it's all based on who you actually are. The truth yes. of who you are, your strengths, your strongest strengths, not just your strengths, but your absolutely strongest strengths, the best things you have to offer. So definitely check that out. The Niche Finder podcast, wherever fine podcasts are, are absolutely free of charge. And check out dreamoctane.org and you can get, I see here, a free PDF excerpt of Dream Octane emailed to you. So definitely head over to dreamoctane.org and sign up and uh, get that form filled out and get that uh, excerpt from the book. Cliff, I just want to say thank you again for being on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. Listeners, thank you even more. I would love for you to like, subscribe. Refer this podcast to others, but most of all, could you do me a solid and give it a rating wherever you get your podcasts? Because that really does help other people find it. The other thing is, my book, The Dead Tree Version of Nonfiction Brand, the podcast, is available at the house of Jeff Bezos, or I should say the warehouse of Jeff Bezos, Amazon.com. Just look up Nonfiction Brand, 
and Knuton, spelled as you see it on the screen there, or if you're listening, K-N-U-D as in David, T as in Tom, E as in Edward, N as in nothing. You can get the nonfiction brand book there anytime you like. It's primable. Also, believe it or not, I just set up a Patreon. That's right. If you go to patreon.com slash nonfiction brand, you can support the podcast for as low as $1 a month. Wow. Think about that. Anyway, that's it for me this week. I'm DP Knuton, your host, and he is... And I'm Cliff Manning, author of Dream Octane, Seven Steps to Discover, Develop, and Deliver Your Value. Just just one quick mantra that I want to just leave the audience with, that once you find your niche, you can believe it to be true, that we believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dream and ability could be its fuel. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit us on dreamoctane.org. Well, there you go. Dream fuel. Love it. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.